Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for Wednesday, October 12th. I'm your host, D. Swab, Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of Kevin Kobach, Robert Holman, and Kyle McFadden. And guys, I'm going to rewind a little bit and do my best impersonations. Oh man, Brandon Shepard, he's going to win the championship easily. T-Mac has no chance. I don't know, guys. I think Brandon Shepard's going to win the championship. That's my Kyle McFadden one. And then, Robert, I don't know how to do you. I think Brandon Shepard, he's going to be very tough to beat this year. Well, all four of us said Sheppy was going to win the points. T-Mac was going to come in second. He made us look like a bunch of nimrods. The points racer himself, back-to-back Lucas Oil titles, Kovac. I know my uh, impersonation was spot on for you, but your boy, he is the face of points racing. It used to be Steve Francis, but now we got a new one. Congrats to T-Mac on winning his second Lucas Oil title that pays a lot more money than it did one year ago. Yeah, $150,000, a nice double the the man double the amount that he got last year for his first one. So, uh, you know, the biggest uh national tour uh check that anyone's ever gotten for a title on on a national tour. So, that's, that's pretty good for T-Mac. Yeah, I did we all did like uh Get, uh, I guess seduced by uh, the 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 big news back there in uh, in the spring when uh, uh, the Rocket House car and Brandon Shepard decided to go to the Lucas Oil Series. It kind of shocked everybody that with that with that move and like, hey, you know, hey, they're gonna they're gonna. And he led Shepard led early in the season too. We're like, hey, you know, he'll be able to do it. You know, this is this is gonna be their uh, you know their uh, uh, the challenge for him after all these outlaw uh, championships. It gives him something different to go pursue. But man, McCready, he stepped up, you know, I mean, he just, there was that one, you know, he took the lead back in, I think it was the what, end of July or something or early August, in middle of August. And he just held on to it ever since then. There was that couple of races ago at Knoxville where the hundred points uh, got down to a hundred points when it really got cut in half the point lead uh, when um, McCready had that trouble in Knoxville Nationals. But after that, he, he rebounded well and he, he closed it out. I mean, there were a couple of rainouts there probably helped too. I mean, you know, like there was a few cancellations in that in the last uh, few races that uh, it took a few races away. But still, I mean, the way McCready was going, I think that it uh, probably would have, uh, you know, there were, he, he, he had it. He was he I think he stepped up for the challenge that, uh, that Shepard provided and, uh, and he got it done again. He select company now winning two times in a row with that. Uh, Lucas Oil and also having that World of Outlaw title under his belt from 2006. Robert, it wasn't a flashy year for him. He had some good runs, obviously. He didn't like have these remarkable like 15-win seasons in dominant fashion like we've seen in other championships in the past. I think one of the changing points was that summer when I think Rocket One was playing on being on the, on the road for eight weeks and they go all the way back home and then come back out. They're leading at I-70 and they blow a motor with two to go, and I think that kind of put them down Behind the eight ball, they had that thing at Knoxville where T-Mac, you know, left the race early, cut the lead in half, and then after that, he was dialed in. A great performance by T-Mac. A guy that's not always flashy, but he gets the job done. I think that that probably T-Mac should send me a percentage of the check because I didn't pick him to win the championship. Every time I've picked him to win something this year, he's finished second, third, fourth, or something like that. So I didn't pick him to win. And he does win. So um, I guess I'll just do uh, Timmy some favors and stop picking him to win. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was on board with everybody else thinking that, you know, Brandon's going to make this. I knew it wouldn't be easy for Brandon Shepard to make a switch from 
uh, Lucas Oil over um, from World of Outlaws to Lucas Oil. I knew it would not just be a cakewalk, but he was leading when we were talking about this and he made the switch. He was leading the points. And we, we, we feel like I felt like Sheppy's leading. He's not going to give up that lead. He's just too consistent. And uh, and down the stretch, obviously, um, McCready proved to be the most consistent and, and the uh, of the two. And he proved to be the one who, who had the, the least amount of trouble. Uh, and that's, you know, when you, when you talk about point tracing, that's exactly what you have to have. You have to be consistent. You have to you have to make the most of your troubles. That's the key. You know, you've got if you you've got to have a, if you've got a, a 20th place car, you got to somehow manage to finish 15th that night. If you've got a fifth place car, maybe you can get third. And when you do have a car capable of winning a race, you got you've got to win that race. And uh, and I think that's what you know Tim McGrady's done over especially the last half of the year. I mean, he's he's proven that. Think about where we were. Uh, this time last year, you know, we're talking about is Tim McCready ever going to is Tim McCready going to close out that first Lucas Oil Championship? We're you know we're sitting here and this is a World of Outlaws champion, and we're sitting here thinking is he going to finally get that Lucas Oil Championship to to go on his resume and really make him you know put him in in the he was already kind of in the up echelon of the sport, but really put him um, at the top of the sport with with not just stars of our era our, our era but stars of the sport from the beginning and i think winning the first one puts him in the conversation he's got a world of outlaws title he's got a lucas oil title i think that put, and he's got numerous crown jewels so i think that obviously put him in the in the conversation of one of the greatest for sure of our era but now he's got back to back lucas oil titles uh, and i think that just uh he is uh, proven to be, like you said, Derek, when you came on, uh, uh, the ultimate, um, I guess, points racer. And he makes the most out of every single night. And he's kind of he kind of mirrors Brandon Shepard. And, and when you're trying to catch Brandon Shepard, you look up and Sheppy's running eighth and you're running second. And you think, I'm going to make up some points tonight. And then you look in the final rundown, Sheppy winds up running fifth. Well, that's the way Tim McCready has done this whole year. You can't make up points on him because he's always there at the end. And he's one of those racers who actually gets better as the race goes on. And that's even harder to catch a guy like that because you think you're thinking to yourself, I'm about to make up 15 points tonight, 20 points tonight. And all of a sudden you look up and he's standing on the podium beside you and you and you didn't make up anything. So. It's hard to outrun a guy like that, and uh, and I think, like you said, Tim McCready's proven to be one of the one of the best uh, you know points racers you know around right now. Yeah, that second half of the season, starting when he took the lead, I think was Deer Creek, and Shepard was trying to catch him ever since then. There was like three or four times where T Mac was getting second or third. I seventy happened. Brandon finished thirteenth when T Mac had that thing happen at Knoxville the following week. T-Mac wins the Jackson 100. Brandon Shepard gets 12th. Then last week, it kind of put the nail in the coffin at Talladega when obviously T-Mac won and Sheppy was kind of there towards the end of the top 10. Uh, Kyle McFadden, your first full year at Dirt on Dirt covering Dirt Late Models. There were some key moments that I just mentioned for T-Mac, and he just capitalized every single time. Uh, kudos to him. And uh, being a guy like Brandon Shepard isn't always easy. 
Yeah, no, I was actually just looking <clears throat> at the summer here there, Derek, and he did take the lead at Deer Creek for good. Um, and then also kind of backtracking the month before that, going into June, uh, Brandon Shepard had a 100-point lead after West Virginia going into the the Dream and and uh, or the Million at Eldora. And obviously that's not – a Lucas Oil sanction event, but you know, I kind of look back at maybe what catapulted T Mac into the summer to where he was able to not only overcome, you know, the 100 point deficit, but to now lock it up going into Portsmouth. And um, obviously, you you look back to you know his run at the Million and what could have been there, and and then his firecracker victory uh, at Lernerville you know, two weeks after that. But even then, you know, uh, Brandon Shepard came out the week after that at Muskegon and capitalized. And I thought after that weekend, because I was there at Muskegon, um, that Brandon Shepard, you know, I think he had a 55-point lead after that win. And, you know, I, I thought he had kind of balanced things out back in his favor. But, um, you know, that obviously didn't prove to be the case. And, yeah, Deer Creek was was certainly, you know, I just looked back at the results of that race and uh, Brandon Shepard finished 20th and T-Mac finished third. And I think that, in a nutshell, the race that, you know, T-Mac put himself back on the throne, so to speak, is, is, is kind of speaks to the consistency of uh, the guys just rarely runs out of the top five, right? And if, if he's not in the top five, he's certainly in the top 10. And if he's not, um, a winning race car, as Robert mentioned, you know, he finds ways to just chip away and, and get the most out of his race car that evening. And so 215 point lead considering the 100 point deficit and, or yeah, that, uh, 100 point deficit to start the month of June on top of the 95 points he lost at Knoxville. So I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, that's 400 points you're dealing with there, right? That uh, if you take out Knoxville, just what he's been able to, to I guess, accomplish this, this, uh, this year. I mean, it's, uh, it's like remarkable and certainly embodies, you know, what, you know, who T-Mac is. And I think Kevin mentioned it in his fast talk. I mean, you know, what else could have he, or, you know, just getting the, a late start, so to speak, in dirt late model racing because of his uh, his background and uh, you know big block modifieds in the Northeast. You know what what does his legacy look like if it was stretched out, you know, longer? But we all know that he's got a few good good years left in him. That is, uh, you know, he's certainly not done yet, and it shows. And we'll uh, we'll see. You know, he still hasn't accomplished uh, a dirt track world championship, so. That's the next thing, I guess, for him to check off here this weekend. Yeah, and Kovac, I'm just, you've known him longer than anybody, obviously, with the big block days. We have re- have said this repeatedly on the show. You're, you and him are like Jerry Rice and Steve Young back in the day, Joe Montana playing football catch at Volusia back in the day. But six wins this year, six wins last year, just shows how great of a points racer he is. Doesn't have to win that many, but – no one has won a championship in the Lucas Oil Series and not have double-digit wins besides T-Mac these last two years, and you have to go all the way back to 2014 when Don O'Neill did it. So it wasn't like he was dominating in the victory category, 
But all in all, if you're getting those top threes, it's going to be very tough to beat. He has his first championships last year, and then the first one since 2006. It was a long time coming for T-Mac, and he's starting to look like a little veteran, maybe like a little Earl Pearson Jr.-like a little bit, you know, just so consistent when he was winning those championships those three or four years. But to only have six wins back-to-back years, that's quite impressive. It just shows how good his race team is. Yeah, he's he yeah he has, he has a consistent he has that veterans kind of mentality now. You you kind of hear him even when he and he talks, it's more like a uh, you know the the savviness, the experience coming out of there. The uh, the uh, you, you you know that he's not some young kid anymore. You know, and uh, again, I have seen him. I I saw him. You know, his first year of racing was 1996. He actually started racing a little bit later than most guys. You know, he didn't run his first like. I mean, he ran go-karts and stuff, but never his first big, big car. It was a small block modified, 358 modified, you know, upstate New York. He ran, he was 1996. He was only 22 years old. He wasn't like a 15 or 16 year old racing. So he did get a little bit of a later start, you know, even just in racing in general. And I mean, other than he was, he did grow up around his father, Barefoot Bob, one of the great legendary modified drivers and uh, was going to the races with him a lot. So he, he was always around it and around the great drivers like, the uh, uh, Josh Richards was and, and Hudson O'Neill and Bobby Pierce. I mean, all these, these younger guys that just, they started earlier than McCready, but they were also, he was also around. Uh, they were all, all, all around great drivers uh, as young kids and, and to, to see him uh, to win it. I mean, I, I've, I've, he's always been a, a great driver. I mean, I saw his first race was in 96. Again, it was a Canandaigua with a small block against the big blocks in New York. And, and he, did well in that race, you know, you could see that he was going to be a very good driver. Um, and, and with running with big blocks, it's, there's a, there's a lot of 100 lappers and then even 200 lappers at the end of the year, back in his time in the you know late nineties, early two thousands. And, and I think that really uh, developed him as a driver for, you could see in these, these crown jewel events, these hundred lappers, he's really good. And, and that makes him a good point racer too, because he knows how to take care of his equipment. He's, uh, I mean, they, he was always called, he's been called topside Timmy. You, you remember when he got back, when he got into the late model, you know, in 2004, 2005 and 2005, he busted out in the second year is with the outlaws. He, he didn't win an outlaw race the first year. And then he come out in the right at the beginning of the year. He wins a Volusia with for his first outlaw race, and uh, and, and he won. I believe he won eight races that year with the outlaws. It was it was like man, he's really he's racking them up. He had like a streak of uh, three or four in a row, and uh, had really was really rolling on the winning side. And he hasn't picked up those. He hasn't had those big giant streaks like that. But he's can't you uh, can't uh, <laughs> you can't um, argue about the. Uh, the number of big wins he has. He's won just about every big race. Hasn't won the Dirt Track World Championship. Hasn't won the Dream. Uh, but just about all the others, he has at least won once. And he hasn't gotten those multiple wins except for, uh, you know, the North-South uh, 100 and uh, in Firecracker 100. But uh, he's he's always in the in the mix at big races. And, and I think he's got several more. And it would be kind of neat to see him win the Dirt Track World Championship uh, since he, now he can go into the into the Portsmouth this weekend, kind of uh, you know with no pressure on. You remember back in 2017, he was into contention. He was leading going into the last uh, Lucas Oil race that year, the you know the last dirt, uh, the dirt track world championship, and just had flat you know flat tires and just everything went wrong. And he ended up losing the championship to Josh Richard. So kind of would be nice to you know I'm sure he would love to get a win there and kind of put that back that 2017 season uh, the ending there behind him. 
Yeah, T-Mac looking for his first ever Dirt Track World Championship. No pressure. It was funny that uh, McCready Nation on Twitter said basically all he has to do is sign in and he'll be the champion. be kind of funny if little Shappy, like his son, came over and like did a little joke like fake tripping and uh, maybe just uh, start a little funny social media. That'd be a, that'd be a classic little Shappy thing to do. But, yeah, congrats to the champion. Oh, yeah. That's probably one other Kovac. thing out, though. I mean, he's 215 points ahead. You know, you can only make up 210 points in a race. So he yeah, doesn't even have to show over. up, really. Yeah. I mean, like, I I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of series. Like, they, they don't want to admit, like, when the championship is over. But, I mean, this guy, he doesn't even have to show up. Uh, I mean, like, he can't go run another race because then you, I mean, you maybe get penalized for that or something. I don't know. But, uh, but he is, he is the, the, I'm no mathematician. But I know that he can't be overtaken when you can only make up 210 points in a race if the guy's not even funny. there. So yeah, it's It'd funny. It'd be right? great yeah. though if Little Sheppy did a little tripping. McCready yeah, Nation little, on little Twitter does do that, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, T Mac back to back championships headed to the DTWC and. Guys, that's kind of what the main topic I wanted to be and maybe go dive a little bit more into the Dirt Track World Championship, Robert. Uh, as a guy from Tennessee, been in the sport a long time, what were your just overall thoughts when you were growing up and started hearing about the 42nd running of the DTWC when it got started at Pennsboro? Um, it's been going on for 42 years, as I just mentioned. Just what was your first impersonations of the race? Because I still believe it's a top three or four race in our sport. Well, you know, when I, when I grew up, I was reading the trade papers and stuff, and, uh, you know, you didn't get to go to uh, to – West Virginia to watch a race. Uh, uh, I, I can one of the first th- things that I can r- remember that I was really fascinated about about uh, Pennsboro and the Dirt Track World Championship was that there there was this racetrack somewhere in America that you actually crossed a bridge while you were racing, and uh, I always was like I, I was just completely fascinated by the fact that. Because I would see these pictures of cars at Pennsboro crossing the creek there, crossing that bridge, and I was I was just amazed. I'm like, God, there's this place, you know, and it's this all these people sit on the hillside and they don't have lights and and all this stuff. And so so that was my my first, I, I guess, as a kid seeing you know images from Pennsboro, black and white images from Pennsboro in the trade in the trade papers i don't really remember even seeing any any images in color you know uh so i I was just enthralled i was just i guess just wanted to go there and fortunately i was able to go there i was uh i was at pensboro the last dirt track world championship that they ran there in 2001 so i was very very fortunate to be able to go and i've seen people you know uh, Mike Knuckles, for instance, uh, give him a shout out uh, the, from Warrior Race Cars, who has been by Pennsboro a couple times, I think, uh, taking you know the old track, but he's never seen a race there. And I think I saw on his Facebook page, he'd love to just see one more race. He'd love to see one race there for him to win one more race and be able to watch a race there. And I think that that's it's one of those tracks, Pennsboro, that back in the day was on everybody's bucket list. And and the thing is. It was really kind of a crappy racetrack, you know. It really, it really didn't race all that good, you know. Kind of one lane and uh, kind of around the bottom a lot, and 
and uh, it really didn't produce a bunch of great racing all the time, but it had this mystique. It had this crazy atmosphere and, and, you know, it's at this fairgrounds there. And it's uh, like I said, it, you, you get into the pits when you're walking and you pay, you're actually walking under that bridge and you're kind of walking past that little Creek there to get into the pits that, that one way when you're like a, uh, not obviously uh, when you're just a spectator or whatever, drive uh, walking in there. It, it's uh it was, I mean, all the there's no bleachers. All the people sit on the hillside, and you walk up there. I remember uh, when I was there in '01, I was uh, working for National Dirt Digest, and there was at one moment when uh, I guess maybe during some prelims, I just walked up the top of the hill myself and found a tree to hang on to, and just kind of sat there and just took it all in, and just sat there and took some pictures and just and just watched watched everything happening there, and it was just uh, it was amazing. It's amazing. And uh, as bad as the track raced, I wish the race was still there. I think that it added something to that event. Uh, nothing against Portsmouth because that's a great facility. Nothing against any of these other racetracks it's been at because those have been good racetracks. But I just feel like the Dirt Track World Championship at Pennsboro is is the real Dirt Track World Championship. And, and I just uh, I miss it being at that that facility because it's just the history there and it's just it just it oozes history with all the all the racers who who've raced there and uh you know obviously with jim dunn winning the first one and and everything that goes uh that is uh it went along with that race and how he came you know from behind to win that race and Ronnie Johnson winning two two races there freddie smith dominating it scott bloomquist never winning a race there uh, you know, so I mean, it's just Pennsboro is just is just like so wrapped up in the history of our sport. I wish that uh, hell, I wish we still raced there myself. Yeah, Pennsboro after dark. Uh, you know, yeah, the toilets burning, stuff like that, all the shenanigans, and probably a lot of campfire smells, a lot of moonshine. I'm sure it was passed in the hills there by Pennsboro. Uh, Kyle, you're going to your first ever DTWC. You're popping your cherry headed to Portsmouth. What do you know about the event? Uh, just uh, you've heard obviously about it. Uh, are you excited to go? I mean, it's a pretty big race for us, so don't let us down this weekend. But I think we'll have a lot of fun going to your first DTWC. It's interesting, you know. You look back through the history of this event, and I mean, it's been around for I mean since 1981, um, according to you know, just like looking back through our history section and you know there's really only two races i mean like crown jewels that are still prominent you know in our sport right now and still these days and you know that's the world 100 and then the hillbilly 100 i mean that's so when you're looking at you know the dirt track world championship and it's historical historic significance in our sport you know as somebody who um you know has now experienced a world 100 and Eldora million and um, is now more immersed and now more involved in the sport. Honestly, I I feel like if there's one race that maybe I ever overlooked or never really quite looked into, and this is even coming from a guy from Maryland, I mean, who's not even all that far from uh, the Western portions of West Virginia, you know, the, the the 
eastern parts of Ohio, that Ohio Valley region, you know, where this race has taken place since its start uh, across various racetracks. And, you know, I I feel like I have kind of overlooked this event, maybe because it's, it's just so late in the year. And as a, a kid growing up, this was kind of the, the start of basketball season. And so you're your mind kind of switches gears just a little bit and you just kind of uh as a kid me personally was was almost kind of done with racing at at this point but you know now you're looking back through the through the history of it and just kind of listening to Robert talk there it was funny when I was at the Hillbilly 100 2 weeks ago I was driving to Tyler County and had passed through Pennsboro and there was uh, a <laughs> You're kind of getting off the off the main road, and then uh, you know you 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 pull through the mountains, and I see this "Welcome to Pennsboro" sign, and uh, I was trying to find this like little taco shop in this like little shopping center, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's this is Pennsboro. That's I guess the tracks around here somewhere, but I was so focused on on pulling into this like shopping center on my left. Uh, You're hungry. I was hungry, man. I was locked in and and I'm like, tracks gotta be around here somewhere. And I had no service, so I'm like, darn it, like I can't look up where the track is. So I like pull out of the shopping center, rounding this this like hill, and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, approaching the top of the hill to make my left to get on my way to Tyler County, and lo and behold, frickin' Pensboro is right in front of my face. I'm like, holy crap, you know, this is this is it, you know, this is the track. And I'm like, whoa, like I was, I had no clue that just how small, first of all, Pensboro is just the town itself or the establishment of Pensboro. And it's just, I just kind of stop and I'm just like amazed, you know, just looking at, at a track that quite honestly, that I kind of stumbled upon and had no clue that I would even pass through there. Um, and so just kind of looking through the pictures and the, you know, the reading the old race reports and kind of listening to Robert's stories, it's, it's cool to just even get a glimpse or just, uh, you know, looking back in time and and just kind of getting maybe the feel as to what this race would have been or what was, you know, this event back, back in the, back in the day, you know, at, uh, you know, Pensboro. So I'm glad that I had unbeknownst to me stumbled upon the track on my way to Tyler County. Um, and, and just to, uh, at, at least try to envision, you know, what that race was. I feel like if you ask every driver, you know, where would you rank crown jewels in the sport? Obviously the world 100 would be at probably everybody's top. And, you know, I mean like the Prairie dirt classic for a, a guy like Bobby Pierce or a guy like number Shepard, one, a guy from your state there, Derek of Illinois, I mean, you, you know, that'd probably be their number two, if not their number one race that they've been wanting to win, you know? So what I'm trying to say is personally, you know, each crown jewel kind of means it's has its own significance, has its own value to everybody. And, and so um, particularly, you know, the drivers of our sport. And so, but when I'm thinking about, you know, the dirt track world championship, I mean, how can you not, just the, the history of it and kind of like the bow that it kind of just completes our season. Not that our season's done after this weekend. Cause we, you know, we're still racing for the next month and a half after that or after this weekend. 
And so, but in terms of the crown jewels and, and what everybody is kind of aiming for, right, uh, this season, it, it, it puts a, a bow on that. And, uh, you know, I've never been to Portsmouth. Um, I've been making the rounds this year in Ohio and, and the Eldora comic, uh, Muskegon. And uh, now I get to go take in Portsmouth. And so, yeah, no, this is uh, one race that, as I said, <laughs> kind of overlooked as a as a kid have mercy on me but it's i'm fascinated always learning and always you know taking in the stories from robert and kevin and just being able to be a, a part of that and um be at the forefront now of, of of uh you know documenting more history you know this weekend so i'm excited for it absolutely am and you know one hundred thousand dollars you know that's 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 uh a nice payday too. PRP, the place to be for the DTWC. Uh, Kovac, this is your 11 at this track. And if you look back, there's been more races outside of Pinsboro now for the event than there has been. So I think we're kind of passing a torch here. It may have found its home, but along the way, we had some different racetracks. We had Thunder Ridge for one year. Nice facility. Then we went to West Virginia Motor for two, or yeah, two years. That was a huge half mile. Car counts were low. Then we went to Bardstown. The first two years weren't very good. And then we had Oilgate there with your boy T-Mac. He was one of the half dozen or so that decided to pour quarts of oil on the racetrack to, to make it better. So that ended there. Then we go to KC slash Atomic Speedway. And, of course, 2006 arguably the best moments of the dirt track. And we had Bloomquist and or Scott Bloomquist and Shane and Bab duking it out. Your boy Chubb, he wins a championship there. Then we go to Lawrenceburg for one year. Horrible weather. I feel like they got the shorthand of the stick because I love that facility. Great racing. It was a good day race uh, right there. Jimmy Morris held off Brady Smith and Rick Eckert. Then we go back to West Virginia for one year. Too big, not very good car count. Then we go to Casey Atomic in 2011. A debacle. Just a horrible race weekend. Uh, qualifying and racing in the, in the you know in one day because it rained so much on Friday there was no passing all single day it was just a very bad day and then we've been at Portsmouth for the last twelve years so I think maybe we found a home there but what other tracks did you like or other memories you have Kovac from the other racetracks have held this historic event for a while there it was changing places every so often and Todd Turner told me in Swab Talk just before this he kind of liked that when we switched it around a little bit but I think now having it at one spot probably takes less stress off Coral Shore and the rest of the people running the dirt track because you kind of know what you're going to get and you've done it you know the last few years there yeah it's it, it gets you settled in I guess and and you could build something at one racetrack. Uh, I mean, everything's always compared to Pennsboro on the atmosphere side, you know, I mean, you're never going to get away from that. Just like everything will sort of be like the show me 100 is always going to be compared to at Lucas oil speedway is always going to be compared to when it was at West Plains, uh, the original place, the the place where the history was really built. And I mean, I, I got, I went to the last Pennsboro before that little separate one that, that, that Robert mentioned in 2001, the last of the long run there, 1997 at, Marshall Green won, Capital Race Cars, Marshall, Marshall Green won that race. I covered that one at Pennsboro. So I got me my, uh, I, I got to experience the, the magic of Pennsboro that they say, you know, hearing the uh, guy with the ox roast going on outside and making ox noises when I got out of the car, which I had to park on the side of the, of the road because there really wasn't much parking at Pennsboro. And, um, and then just, just being, I mean, not, I don't know if there's even, I'm, I think it was a flag to flag win. I'm not, I, if I remember right, nothing much happened in it. 
So you're uh, saying I like Pittsburgh rate. because of the atmosphere. Yeah, it's all atmosphere there. You know, it, it's, I would have loved it. It was perfect. Just, I mean, it was also something like, you know, like the it was the afternoon. They didn't have lights. I just was talking to Booper Bear a couple of weeks ago for a story on, you know, when, after his son Tyler won the 50 grand crate race at uh, Virginia Motor. And, and, he, and Booper was like, I, I kind of miss those Saturday, Sunday races, you know, like in, in those in that era, especially the 80s and 90s where they were afternoons and, um, you know, you, you got out of there early on Sunday and, and, you know, usually because it was yet yet done before the race was uh, or got dark. And I mean, again, it wasn't the greatest probably the afternoon races, but it definitely was better for the party. And I know that which which our man, Steve Gigas uh, of, of Sports Plus Video, he he's he was in the middle of all that action at Pennsboro a lot of those years. And you have a lot more when the races are probably ending by six, seven o'clock each day. Uh, yeah, you have a lot more time to, to party there in the, in the, on the, in the campground. So crazy stuff happened there. But, uh, the only other, uh, dirt track that I went to before this, you know, stretch of Portsmouth, which I've been, I guess, since 2014 was I went to the atomic race at KC in 2006 when it was a muddy mess, but man, it was a good race when they finally got going. Uh, the pits were a muddy mess and it was a great race with Shannon Babb winning that one. That was a pretty, I, I remember that one, but. It, you know, when you're you're switching back and forth with racetracks, I feel like it doesn't, you know, you can't get that momentum as a as a crown jewel compared to the World 100s, uh, you know, um, um, those ones that stay that stay at the same place, you know, yeah. which the Dirt Track World Championship, they paid 50 grand in 1983 for the first time. Started as a 30,000 to win race. So um, it's always been a, great, a big paying race, but it, it um and and at that point in the eighties, it was up there with the uh, you know World One Hundred. I mean, you know, like those those crown jewels were they were they were the two races that you talked about the most of any, I, I would say. And um, you, you don't you know you don't say the Dirt Track World Championship maybe now like right as as the number two event now anymore. Especially with like the Dream, you probably can give the Dream in the world now both at Eldora. Uh, when I look back through the list of tracks. I mean, I, you, you mentioned Lawrenceburg there, uh, Derek, and Lawrenceburg's it's probably the best racetrack of all of the seven that it's been at, uh, I would say, because I mean, they ran that Lawrenceburg that was like rebuilt. It was a beautiful racetrack. Uh, um, you know, unfortunately, I did get a little bit of, uh, you know, bad, bad, bad uh, call there with the weather, bad weekend with the weather. Uh, so they had to run it on, uh, you know, in the afternoon and stuff. But um, that is I would say the best racetrack of all of them. There's a lot of them that do, uh, you know, and that, and that would probably rank uh, Atomic and KC after that. Portsmouth, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a good facility for it. Plenty of camping, kind of a nice, and you know, with a town is right there too. Uh, the racing has always been, you know, eh, not bad. It was like you can get stretches, it seems like. There's been Portsmouth, some great moments though at PRP. Yeah, since it's yeah been there's there, been good moments, sure. but like for a whole 100 laps, yeah. it's usually difficult because the track doesn't kind of hold up. You know, it's a little bit sandier and grittier, and it doesn't hold up for a whole hundred laps. But uh, you usually do see some good moments in there, and uh, it, it, otherwise, it has a good atmosphere though. It does have a good atmosphere at Portsmouth. You know, like there's you drive in and you're going through all those campers right when you right at the entrance. So. Uh, it has a has a it's a pretty cool place for it. Yeah, and hopefully year eleven for Carl Short and Company is uh, has big time success. We have a great race, but Robert has the DTWC lost a little luster. Do you still think it is a top three race? I know probably ten fifteen years ago it'd be number two, and then the Dream and 
obviously the world 100 are probably maybe ahead of it but i think maybe some other drivers and fans might consider another race that or other races that might go ahead of it has it lost a little luster because you know that car counts right there in the 50s and 60s you're not getting a huge car count anymore um you're still getting a great crowd but i don't know maybe people don't talk about it as much like going into the weekend as they did 10 years ago when i first started uh it, it probably has lost a little luster but i don't not to me you know i don't know you know it's hard to hard to pinpoint i think personally that it kind of it lost that that luster um bouncing around from track to track i think that really hurt it's like like kevin said it really kind of hurts the momentum of the whole deal todd turner may have enjoyed that but i think it hurt the event as a whole when i was growing up it was the world 100 first Dirt Track World Championship second. Those are the two races that you most wanted to win. It wasn't until 1994, you know, when the dream came along that the Dirt Track World Championship even had a rival. Uh, you know, Freddie Smith wins that race that year, and I paid $100,000 to win. Ronnie Johnson wins the, the Dirt Track World Championship same year, paid $50,000 to win. As far as crown jewels go, like also like Kevin said, you know the, the Dirt Track World Championship has been paying good money for a long time, and, uh, no and I think you know. And this is like the uh, I want to say the looking looking through my notes. This is the eighth year in a row that the race has paid a hundred thousand to win. So you know, eight years ago they decided to up the ante and and get it where it should be. And so I think in, in 94, when the dream came along, it, it made the World 100, of course, is the one that, that is at the top of the heap. And the dream, I don't think the dream was second right away. I think the dream over time has made its way to second. And then I still think, especially paying $100,000 to win, I still think the Dirt Track World Championship, uh, with its history and and with the list of winners, uh, with its history at Pennsboro, with the money it pays, has always paid, and now has stepped up and, and pays well, you know, I think that the Dirt Track World Championship is number three on the list, and it'll be you'll be hard pressed from from my old self for from you know I'm 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 old. So it'd be hard pressed for an old guy like me to see any of these other races any differently than what they are. And it's kind of newer events in, in my mind, at least. So I really feel like the dirt track world championship is number is number three on the list. And, and, you know, I don't, I, you know, you go to, I was disappointed, you know, in 2002 when it had to go somewhere else, I was disappointed you know, to see it go to Bluegrass Speedway. And, and uh, uh, you know, I think, by the way, Darrell Lanigan is the only home state winner to win the Dirt Track World Championship. You know that? I mean, I, uh, which is kind of a unique stat that all these years in, in West Virginia that, uh, you know, that we don't have a, a guy like that win it. But Darrell Lanigan from Kentucky as the only when it was at Bluegrass, I think, because uh, he won in 03 there, I think. So that's that's the only home state winner. But, uh, you know, for also you look at the history, 21 of these races were held in, in West Virginia. And uh, for a guy who's not 
really familiar. You know, it's not like I'd, I'd failed geography, but if you look at where the races, the, the, the region where it's at, it's still pretty close. You know, I think, you know, that, that getting down to Kentucky was kind of, you know, off the beaten path, so to speak, for as far as, for as where as this race should be. But, you know, finding a home there at Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth, I think is fine. You know, it's, it is close enough in that region for sure that it's, that it, that it keeps what the dirt track world championship is about. And for that, that region of, of the United States, uh, definitely don't think it needs to be anywhere else. Uh, I would love to see it in West Virginia again, you know, it doesn't need to be at, at West Virginia motor, um, I think that's an awesome facility, but that's that place is just too big in my opinion. And I know I'll catch some flack for saying that, but uh, but I and I think like Kevin said that it's very scenic there at Portsmouth, uh, the bridge and all in the background. I mean, it it is it's really pretty. It's, it's a beautiful place, um, but. Uh, you know, Pennsboro will always be its home to me, and it'll always be ranked number three on the list of our crown jewels. I don't, and you'll you'll be hard pressed to ever change my mind on that, Derek. Yeah, that's you because you're a boomer. That's why you're old. So, yeah, that's true. I am. I am a geezer. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that, that is true. That's what's but crazy. I'm still out here digging. But you know, I always will love you. You're not old. You're young at heart, no doubt. But I'm just saying, like. You can argue with me, but if you're my age or younger, you you just think the dirt tracks at PRP. I mean, I was 18 or 21 when they moved it to PRP, and anybody younger than me, they're gonna be like, "Oh, wait, what's this Pensboro type thing?" So I know that, but it also brings up the point that it's good to have it at the same place. So maybe in 20 years, I'm having the same reaction to you, like you're having with Pensboro. Like you know what, Portsmouth, it's where it's been at. I saw like some great races there. I saw Josh Richards clinch a championship, you know, and uh, that race there you saw Brandon Shepard at 20 passing Scott Bloomquist on the you know like on household names so I think people my age and younger be like okay Portsmouth is where it's at and I think that's what makes this event so cool it's been going on for so long that we have different generations of age just by a little bit thinking of this as a whole different uh, race and you know circumstances so I think that's a that's a cool thing to think about as well Robert yeah well I mean you think you look at it and and you have to take into you're right. You have to take into consideration that at twenty of these events have not even been held in the state of West Virginia. You know, I mean, basically half of them have not even been held in West Virginia. So, so yeah, you do have to take that in consideration. And I do think that the the longer it stays in one place, then the the better that it is for that particular event. It might be fun to go to these other places and, and be neat, but I think the longer it stays at one racetrack, the better it is for the event for sure. No doubt. Uh, before we get to one more thing, I kind of want to give you guys three storylines and really quick, maybe like 60 seconds, you pick one of the three storylines. So Kyle, I'll let you go first. And what's that one he takes out of the three, then you guys have to go with the other two and then Robert with the final one. Kyle, the three storylines I'm going to give you. Which one is would you like to see? Jonathan Davenport, you know, get the crown jewel sweep in his career. He gets his first dirt track world championship. Um, Brandon Overton kind of, you know, finally gets rid of his Portsmouth demons because, like, on Friday and prelim nights, he's been right there, and it seems like always something crazy happens on that Saturday where he can just not get it done. 
or uh, Brandon Shepard kind of closing the storybook with that Rocket One team and getting his fifth DTWC title, uh, tying Freddie Smith and kind of, you know, ending with that race team. That would be a pretty cool thing. But what are those three storylines would you like to see? And explain why in 60 seconds. Yeah, sure. Maybe the fans will be groaning about this because they're tired of seeing him winning. But I like to see Jonathan Davenport continue as his season, his dream season, you know. And I, I like a dominator. I really do. I like to cover somebody who is, uh, I just think there's something mystique and magical about somebody that can't seem to be, you know, beat or stopped. I think it, it adds an element. I think it, it adds a, some theatrics, you know, to the race. Cause I was watching Knoxville and him like tracking down Tyler Bruni. And I mean, that was intense, right? You know, you're, you're uh, engaged and, and you're kind of watching history unfold in front of your eyes. And so um, for the sake of, of, you know, history and, and excitement and enthrallment, um, although it's, it's been monotonous, uh, Jonathan Davenport winning. I would have to say, or just all these crown jewels, I would have to say, uh, I would, you know, that's, that'd be my pick of those three storylines there. All right, Kovac, you got two storylines. Would you like to see Brandon Overton? He's been close at 2020. He was starting on the front row and had that flat tire or some brake problem going into the green flag. So that kind of put him behind the eight ball and he would become the first Georgia driver ever to win the event, which is pretty crazy in itself. Or would you rather see that storybook ending with the rocket one, Sheppy tie in Freddie Smith? Well, I always, I never, never could complain about a Brandon Overton win because uh, you know, it's always going to be good quotes. Uh, he, he's all, he can always explain a race. Well, like I've said before, uh, I guess with this one, I'm going to just go with uh, the Brandon Shepard and, uh, and rocket chassis uh, house car victory, man, you know that, cause that'd be history. That, that I mean, there, there's some history there. Like you said, first Georgia winner, but uh, it, it would be pretty cool to, to have a, a guy like five time winner of the dirt track world championship. And considering that they are uh, going their separate ways at the uh, end of the, after the world finals uh, a few weeks from now, uh, it would be pretty, it'd be a pretty cool little storyline to, to end the season with uh with those two getting uh you know win getting a victory lane at the dirt track world championship for a hundred thousand dollars uh a victory yeah that'd be a pretty special moment for the illinois driver and i think him and mark richards can kind of cherish that moment uh forever when they go see each other in the pit areas and stuff like that when they go their separate ways in 2023 all right robert defend your storyline why would that one be so awesome brandon overton you know getting that first win you know, those demons he's had the last couple of years are being so dang close. And then also, I mean, a Georgia driver never winning this race is pretty wild in itself because it seems like that's probably arguably the best stage uh, in late model racing right now. Well, I think just uh, a Brandon Overton, like, uh, follow, first of all, following Kovac is difficult because he kind of touches on a little bit of everything instead of just like staying in his lane. And and like <laughs> taking his and taking his one little category, he wanted to to like oh Take this everyone. would be cool for Overton. I know, but but yeah, he's right. Uh, a Brandon Overton interview is great. You know, it's uh, he's he's honest. He's um, uh, he's emotional when he needs to be, and it's honest emotion. Uh, he is um, uh, you know quiet when he needs to be. Uh, he's humble when he needs to be. Uh, there's just something about about Brandon Overton uh, that is special for our sport in general, and seeing him win a race like this uh, c- could never be a bad thing. Uh, I think that 
uh, I'm going to defend, you know, this particular storyline by saying, backing up what Kyle said, seeing Jonathan Davenport win all these races is monotonous. Uh, and I'll defend it by saying what Kevin said, it would be history. And I don't, I, and as much as I like Brandon Shepard, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I want to see somebody tie Freddie Smith. Uh, you know, the Southern gentleman, that's one thing that Freddie, uh, you know, has that, uh, that could get taken away and, and I don't want to see that happen. So I'm going to defend my position by, by saying I don't want the other two to happen, maybe I don't know, but uh, but yeah, seeing seeing Overton uh, seeing Overton win would be uh, would be really good, and it would be good to, for him to to kind of just kind of break through finally and, and um, get this out of get this out of his way, so to speak, uh, so he could kind of say yes, I've done it, now I can move on. But uh, uh, again, a Brandon Overton interview, he's a he's a hell of a dude, you know, uh, he's really a, a likable guy. Uh, and he's a good he's a good kid. He knows his he knows his place in the sport, I think. Uh, but yet he's still humbled by it. And so uh, so there's nothing wrong with seeing Brandon Overton uh, being in victory lane. And just when you think Overton has all had a so-so year, if you picked up a hundred thousand dollars, that'd be two of them in one season. And uh, yeah, I got to mention I meant to say like no Georgia drivers won at Portsmouth because who could forget 97 when Marshall Green, you know, shocked the world and became a big time name there at Pennsboro. I forgot about that though, Robert, because I'm used to Portsmouth being my dirt track home. So sorry, I forgot that Pennsboro hey, glory days. <laughs> did you know that, did you know that only one driver has won at Pennsboro and then won at a different facility? Freddie Smith. Oh, yes, yes. There, there you go. So I don't think it'll be tough for somebody else to maybe do that if he's continues to be at PRP, which is, you know, a phenomenal spot. It's going to be year 11 there, $100,000 win on Saturday. But before we get to the close, we do one more thing. Kyle, what are you thinking? I feel like you got something good for us. You're licking your chops over there. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of just really tragic news, but Muskogee, Oklahoma driver, uh, Hayden Ross, he died uh, last Thursday in an, an ATV accident. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, this is a kid, you know, 20 years old, just won uh, the Sooner Series Championship and the Southern Touring Late Model Series Championship, literally just on October 1st on, you know, that same night, you know, he locked up, you know, both championships. And um, I'm working on a story or um, just go to our website for the story on on uh, a pretty comprehensive story um, from people who knew him best. And so my, my heart goes out to people who knew him and, uh, it's just, uh, you know, our sports kind of been rocked here recently, obviously, you know, you never want to see that. And, you know, from what the stories that I was told of him and I actually featured him, even though he wasn't ever a weekly racer, you know, in Oklahoma, you know, there's not many weekly options for, you know, the late models, but, um, I featured him in our weekly notebook uh, in August, too. And so, I mean, the, the kid had a, a bright future. You know, one day he wanted to you know, be on the Lucas Oil Series or the Word of Outlaws Series, some kind of national touring series. And so, um, you know, he was certainly on the on the track to getting there, it seemed. And so I'm, uh, you know, honored to write, you know, something in his name. And so go to our website to check it out. and. Um, had some pretty good stories and some pretty good quotes just kind of 
memorializing him and, and uh, you know, what he accomplished in a short amount of time. Yeah, our thoughts go out to the family of a heartbreaking uh, thing that happened. Uh, yeah, great stuff there. Be sure to check it out. Uh, Kovac, I'll let you go next, and I'll go, and then Robert finishes strong. What do you got, Kevin? How about just Bobby Pierce's uh, season here at Fairbury Speedway? Are you, Mike are stealing you yours? Me? I'm oh stealing yours? Go ahead. That's, what, that's How am I supposed to know that you're going to do that, Derek? I don't, how am I going to know that, you know? Well, I'll huh. go first then. No, I'm just kidding. Ahead, you can, uh, what, All right. $77,000 in winner's purse? $77,022 in winner's purses. Yes. Remember, the, after we get the Castro Flow Racing Night in America influence in there, too, with that $22 thrown on there, right? But, uh, yeah, yeah, four races, $77,000. That's pretty damn good you for a, a track like going. A, you're like an old married couple. I know. You know you I've, I've got to say that. You two, you two are like, right. like a, a married couple on a road trip. That's Robert, right. We are. That's right, Derek. like you don't. You love it. Volusia, 3 a.m., we're still talking to you. You, you. you love every second of it. Don't act like That's you don't. That's right, Robert. As he's going like That's... this. Go, I'll wake up at like 11 in the morning, and Robert's getting up at like noon. He's like, I went sleepy at 7 because you Nimrods wouldn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, we just talk a lot, I guess, right, don't we? But. But okay, well that I, I got your I got it. I I read your mind, Derek. See, that's what I knew you were gonna go, Bobby Pierce. So I just took it from you. And uh, but yeah. again, great season for Bobby Pierce at uh at Fairbury. The one thing that still eludes him though, that Prairie Dirt Classic. Imagine if he had gotten that one too. That'd been at least fifty some thousand, uh, depending on how many laps he would have won. So it'd have been a six figure uh. Uh, season there at Fairbury for him, but you know, one one of these days he is going to get that because he's proven he can win every other race at Fairbury, but just can't get that uh, that Prairie Dirt Classic. Yeah, and also so go ahead, so Derek. Close. What do you want? What's yours going to be? Well, got to pick I'm one now, like, quick. Okay, I was going to say that's just bullcrap. I was exactly going to say this, so I'll let Robert go first. But I was going to, um, I was going to just feed off. I'll just feed off yours, just being that close to home. Um, to drive only an hour to make that much money at a track that has a lot of special events throughout the year. And then if you combine Shepard's hundred grand, those two have won nearly $178,000 in winner's purse. Like all these guys from Fairbury are going to say, get the hell out of here. You two, we need to win some money too. So those guys have uh, cleaned up at the quarter mile bowl ring up there in Fairbury. Robert, what do you got? I, uh, I was just going to mention that the, uh, the, the Castro tour is actually, uh, since I'm heading out to this event uh, here in less than a month, I guess about a month. Uh, the Castro Flow Racing Night in America Tour, you know, uh, was we were going to race like the Friday night before the Peach State Classic anyway, uh, which wasn't a points race. But now that race has been bumped up to $20,000 to win and is uh, it's a one-day show for 20 k which is really awesome. And uh, it's a points race. So that makes uh, that along with uh, the Saturday finale – I think 53-53, so two races there with a total winner's purse, just the winner's share of $73,053 going down there at Sonoya Racetrack. And I think I pronounced that right. I'm, I've been on the Sonoa wagon so long that it's hard for me to say Sonoya. But uh, but anyway, that uh, Land of the Walking Dead down there at Sonoya, Georgia, uh, you got it going on for two nights coming up in, in early November. So that's going to be a, a great place to be that weekend. And I'm glad I'll be there for two nights. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, Pete state classic 
two great nights of racing. Then both nights will be points for both of them. So maybe uh, Bobby Pierce can catch Brandon Shepard or somebody else because they're only taking your best nine nights, nine or ten nights, I think. So they'll have one to one to throw away. So you never know. Uh, going to be a good race down there at Sonoya that always produces great racing. Well, guys, uh, the show has ended, as always. Thank you for, for tuning in. People listening at home, live at the Dirt Track World Championship, other events as well. Uh, be sure to check out the preview stories. We've got a suave talk. we got uh, some notes leading up to the DTWC for the 42nd running at Portsmouth. $100,000 on the line. Be sure to check on the coverage as Kyle McFadden makes his first ever trip there. Kevin Kovac there as always as well. And uh, all points in between. Robert, you have fun on vacation. Don't have too much fun. Uh, maybe you can uh, bring me back a nice little uh, souvenir from the beach, like some seashells or something. I'd uh, greatly appreciate that for everybody watching at home this is the dirt report or everybody listening at home this is the dirt reporters thank you for listening